Okay, we are, <clears throat> we are continuing on the chronological life of Jesus. And uh, we're going to continue uh, reading in, in Matthew chapter... Let's start at Matthew chapter 1. We'll repeat a few things that we talked about last time. <clears throat> and then go from there. Matthew chapter, one, uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So you remember last time, the, the first thing that came up that they were afraid to even ask him is, Who is the greatest among us? Now it's shifted to, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, so interestingly, he takes a child and he sets this child before him. You know, Charles Spurgeon, this, this great preacher, said that if anybody ever aspires to be a pastor, he'd better be good with children. Because children actually can see right away into people to see what they're like. Are they mean? Are they harsh? Are they gentle? And uh, if you're not good with kids, no matter who you are, you ought to learn to be. Because um, one day you'll probably be a parent. And and, uh, it's a good thing to be good with children when you're a parent. So Jesus calls a child to himself. So that gives you an image of what our God is like. I mean, Jesus wasn't so pompous, sitting on a big horse and riding around. He takes a child to himself. This is what our God is like. And then he says to them, in verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you change, unless you turn, it all starts with this act of conversion. And one of the problems of growing up in a Christian home, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so when I heard the gospel, when it was presented to me when I was 18, it was night and day from any expression that I had ever had. And, and uh, uh, so, so coming from a Jewish home, when I heard about this man dying for my sins, it really was different. And, and uh, uh, when my sin was exposed to me, it was really different. But one of the problems, and I've seen it dealing with thousands of young people, is that you grow up in a Christian home and there's an assumption <clears throat> that I'm a Christian. Neither are the parents Christian, nor are the children Christian, nor are the grandparents Christian, but they all assume they're Christians. And the vast majority of my American students, my graduate students, they will assume that they're Christians. And I can talk to them and in three minutes see that there is no relationship with God. There's no relationship. They may well have heard about Jesus Christ. They may well have, have heard about these sort of things, but there's no real relationship. Jesus said, it starts right there. You want to, he says, truly I say to you, unless you're converted and become like children, you're not even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not a matter of how great you're going to be in the kingdom of the heaven. You're not even getting in. How much more explicit would we like him to be? He said, unless you're converted, unless you change like little children, you're not even getting in. This is where it starts. And, you know, you know, it's really amazing what can happen. It, it, it's amazing what can happen that people can sit in a church their entire lives. Now, I'm not presupposing anything upon you. If you're convinced of your salvation, you have a relationship with God, I say yes. And if it bothers you that someone should even 
talk about it or inquire of it, the scriptures actually say, be ready to make a defense for the hope that dwells within you. So if it bothers you that somebody should say, tell me something about your relationship with Jesus, if that bothers you, you have a problem. Because the scriptures tell us that we ought to be ready to make a defense for the hope that dwells within us. Not even just say, yes, I have a relationship, but make a defense for the hope that dwells there. So let's start. Let's start and say, could it be that among us, I don't know how many people are here, 75 or something, could it be that among us there is one that doesn't know the Lord, that has no personal relationship? Jesus said there's no getting into heaven without that. It starts with that. You can grow up in a home and never have a personal relationship. I love God so much. You know, the scriptures say that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession in 1 Peter 2.9. God's special possession. This is really how I feel. I feel that my Lord and myself, we are really tight. I really feel that way. And, and uh, uh, somebody asked me, you, you know, how, how can you pray? I, I, I think, how can you not pray? I am continually fellowshipping with my God. All throughout the day, fellowshipping with my God. And I feel He's really looking out for me. I have a relationship with Him. I speak to Him. He speaks to me. Through the Scriptures, He speaks to me. And He brings life. And I want to please Him. There is a relationship here that He has for you. And that verse that I just said to you, that God's special possession, so that you may declare the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9 This is what He's called us for. We are His special possession for a reason. He's called us out of darkness. And I was really dark. I thank God all the time that I got saved at the age of 18. Because between the ages of 18 and 25, you really screw up your life. That is the pinnacle for messing up life. Because you will choose what your career will be. You will choose who your spouse will be. You will choose how you run your family. You will choose how you start to raise your children. In that short time period, so many key things happen. Right here, you are right at that point in your lives. I thank God that I came to the Lord at the age of 18. I wasn't going to heaven. Jesus said, unless you be converted, unless you change and receive this like a child, you're not even getting in. It is a critical thing. If you have never come before the Lord and said, Father, forgive me because I'm a sinner and come into my life, I beg you, do that. Humble yourself as a child. Jesus put it as plainly as He could. He took a child and put the child in front of Him. He says, Humble yourself as a child. Don't think yourself some great intellectual that you've got this all figured out because you took Anthropology 101. Humble yourself as a child and let Him begin to speak into your life. Allow God to do this. He says, this is where it starts. Then He goes on for there. In verse 4, Whoever then humbles himself as this child Matthew 18.4 Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he defines, you want to know who's going to be great in the kingdom of heaven? It's the humble. It's the humble. You know, the humility is, 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 
is a nebulous thing. It, it, it's like the man who wrote the book, Humility and How I Attained It. <laughs> if you think you've got it, you probably don't. It's something that is far better assessed by another than by yourself. <clears throat> it's, it, the antithesis, which is pride, is very often not detected by us either. But it's written on our forehead for everybody else to see. Everybody else sees it. Humility is something that as soon as we start thinking, hey, I've reached it. You've not. So it, 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 it's a quality that we never really can say, I've gotten it. It's better that other people see it in our lives. Because we know we're never really quite there. We're never quite there. This is what he says yields greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Look at what he puts before us. Humility is what brings greatness. And then he says in verse 5, And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better that you enter life crippled or lame than you have two hands or two feet to be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angel in heaven continually sees the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So, this is a little bit hard to understand in the context of what was just said. And so we're going to look at two other Gospels which talk about the same passage. And then it's a little bit more revealing. But let me just say he's not talking about self-mutilation. Because self-mutilation really doesn't do anything. If we turn to, to Colossians chapter 2, um, so, so the, the order of the Bible, it goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. So Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, Colossians 2, 20. For if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So you want to stop sinning? Try it. Get a chain and beat your back. People around the world do that. And you think it will make you stop sinning. And the Bible says it won't. Self-abasement is of no use over fleshly indulgement. In, indulge, in, in, over over uh, uh, Self-abasement and severe treatment of the body are of no value against fleshly indulgence. has nothing to do with it. It won't help you. It won't help you. Because locked within your mind is the capability to do this. So you can beat your body and think that, oh, well, maybe if I, if I fast for a week, then I'll stop sinning. Fasting is a wonderful thing, but it's not going to make you stop sinning. 
So what he's talking about in this portion in Matthew is not self-abasement. So let, let's look on over. Let's look on over to um, uh, Luke. Remember, Luke is our template for the order of things that are occurring. Luke chapter nine, and there's two verses here. So Luke chapter nine, and and in the same in the same sort of portion. Let's read it from Luke nine forty eight. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among you, this is the one who is great. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. Now let's turn over to to, uh, uh, Mark. Mark expands on this a little bit more. Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, and we're reading um, from verse 38. Mark, well, we'll pick it up at verse 37, so you see that overlap. Mark 9, 37. Whoever, reaches, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ Truly I say to you, he will not lose his his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than have your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have your feet to be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So you see the context of this. In the same passage where Jesus is talking to them about the first question was that they were arguing among them, which we covered last week, is who is the greatest among us? Then they said, then they started addressing, well, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And John says to him, oh, by the way, we saw a guy casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. It doesn't say we stopped him, it says we tried to stop him. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, leave him alone. He is not against you, it's for you. This may have been one of John's disciples that believed in Jesus. He was casting out demons in Jesus' name. What I see is that that so often we think that our little group does it right and the other group doesn't do it so right. And they'll talk about a certain pastor, say, in town. Oh, well, that pastor, he just is really shallow or doesn't really... This is so silly. Just stay with your own real life. You know, you don't have to pick on anybody else. What, what we view as shallowness might be very deep, and it's just that we don't understand it. We have no idea. The great thing about the body of Christ is it's so broad and so diverse. 
And if you don't like a particular church, go to another church and get plugged in there. But go to some place and get plugged in and learn to serve in the body of Christ. Learn to serve. I can see people start talking about certain pastors and things that they say. They'll say, would you leave the guy alone? I know that man. He's a friend of mine. He's a friend of mine. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. You know, Shireen loves, she, she can listen to any pastor, any preaching, and be, yes, yes, yes. And some guys I have no interest in. Other guys are just falling asleep. But she just, she just gets pumped about everyone preaching. She likes to sit down about 1.30 in the afternoon. Finally, she's gotten the kids out, everything done. She's, and she, she has her lunch. And she lays down on the couch for about 15 minutes and takes a little, little nap in the afternoon. She always has on Christian TV. And she watches all these preachers. And she just loves them all. All these TV evangelists. I don't particularly care for a lot of them, but I'm not going to speak against them. No way am I going to speak against them. He who's not against you is for you. Jesus said, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Look over. Look over in, in, in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. This is a verse that, that, that uh, uh, I have committed to memory. I mean, this is one of the ones, this is one of the ones that is, is really good to take hold of. Because, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's powerful on, on what, it, what it says. Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Who are you to judge your brother? Before his own master he will stand or fall. And stand he will, because the Lord is able to make him stand. If I don't particularly like the way somebody teaches, I just don't listen to it. But I'm not going to speak against them. No way. How dare I speak against my brother? I'm not going to speak against them. And, and uh, um, so this is, this is exactly what the disciples did. Remember last week we talked about it. They were arguing who's the greatest among us. And then they change the question, well, so who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then they say, oh, and we saw a guy, not in our little group, casting out demons in your name. Jesus said, leave him alone. Leave him alone. You will do very well in life if you learn to, to bless men and women of God and not pick on them. You know, there are some teachings that are so deep, I don't like them. I know a kid, I, I know a, 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 a a college student who only reads the New Testament in the classical Greek. And he thinks, he says, you don't know what you're missing by only reading this in English. Because did you know that the Bible was not written in King James? Did you know that? <laughs> so, so, he reads the New Testament only in Greek. My daughter reads the Old Testament only in Hebrew. There's so much that I miss. But when I hear some great teacher talking about one Greek thing after another, after another, after another, I'm like, you know, it just puts me to sleep after a while. But that's okay. Because there are some people like this student that only reads the New Testament in Greek that loves it. He just loves it. 
don't you see that God has something different for everybody? There are different universities for different types of people. You compare a student at Texas A&M to a student at Rice. I mean, you talk about antithetical, you talk about difference between them. They are so different. But it's fine. We should have different institutions for different types of people. This is the, the breadth of what God has given us. And so you see the same tendency that we have because someone's not of our little group. And maybe they do things differently. Maybe they speak in tongues. Oh, well then what are you going to do about it? The Bible talks a lot about speaking in tongues. Why don't you tear out all those pages? Just tear them out. The Bible talks a lot about this. You know, Paul wrote, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. What are you going to do with that? Oh, well, you know, there's a verse that says that you know, when, when, when the perfect comes, then these other things will be done away with. Yeah, and have we hit that point? It says, when you see Him, tell me, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Him with your eyes? When you see Him face to face, many things will be done away with. Until then, until then, if you don't want to speak in tongues, don't speak in tongues. If you don't want to speak in tongues, God is not going to hit you with that gift. Don't worry. He's not going to do it. So it's not going to just come upon you uncontrollably. It, but we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't take this and feel that we've got to pick on somebody or, or, or somebody's shallow because of this, nor for those who don't speak in tongues that somewhere, oh, they don't. You know, they, they just haven't gotten the Holy Spirit. How do you know? How do you know? Why don't you go and talk with them? Why don't you go and talk with them and see what they're accomplishing? For the Lord, why don't you go and talk with them and see what happened when Jesus came into their life? Jesus said, leave them alone. And then it is in that context, he says, don't be a stumbling block. So we like to take that verse that, that you know, if your eye offended thee, cut it out. And it is a great thing to be careful about where we go and what we do. Things that, that so, so, so in other words, the, the, the common example I'll give is, is if, um, if there is a chance of falling into temptation between a young man and a young woman, then don't study together in the same room all alone at night with the door shut. You know, there are steps that you take. There are steps that you take. Let me, let me, let me tell you a, some, something else that I've known many men to go through. You struggle with pornography. You, can, you have to have accountability with your computer. I have known young men at Rice, that I've dealt with them, they will not keep a computer in their room because it is that much temptation. They will not do it. They will not keep even a laptop in their room. When they need to study, they go to a public place and they use the computer. They have taken steps. But that verse, this verse we want to apply to that, but that's actually not the context. The context is, if there's a stumbling block, you've got to deal with it. The stumbling block in relation to coming against other people. Even if you've got a very effective associate pastor and he's coming against other preaching, you've got to deal with him. You've got to say, hey, don't be a stumbling block. You know, there's this interesting verse in Matthew that we read. Let me go back to it. In the Matthew portion, Matthew chapter 18, it says, Matthew 18, verse 10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you, that their angel in heaven continually sees the face of my Father who is in heaven. You don't believe in angels? Pull out that page too. 
Take out every page in the Bible where you don't believe something on it. Tear it out. Jesus believed in angels. Jesus spoke of angels. He said that their angel, see that you don't despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven, their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. There is a guardian angel over God's children. You may not believe it, it doesn't change it. I'm sure the angel who's guarding you would love for you to at least believe that he's there. But nonetheless, God has assigned this angel to you. God has assigned him. And he continually sees the face of God. And so when we start coming against somebody, just remember, they've got a guardian angel who doesn't quite like this. They're there to guard them. We might have a conversation with the angel that's guarding you. (laughs) This is what Jesus said. It is in this context that he said, don't be a stumbling block. Don't be a stumbling block. I have met, I've met Catholics that love God so much. I've met Catholics that don't know anything about God. I've met Baptists that love God so much. I've met Baptists that don't know anything about God. I've met Catholics that have such a deep faith. Take Mother Teresa. I've not met her. <laughs> but that woman, what she did, and we'll say, oh, well, oh, okay, well, there's one. There's Mother Teresa. No, there's a bunch of them that love God, that know God, that have, have experienced torture for His sake, for God's sake, that have done so much for the cause of God. And there's many Catholics that are clueless about God. They never read the Scriptures, know nothing about Him. I remember once, uh, about 12 or 13 years ago, uh, we we were going to have a Veritas Forum at Rice, and I just overdid it. We had six different speakers back-to-back over six nights. Uh, I'll never do that again. (laughs) But what we were trying to do was find the real intellectuals to come and speak to us. And, you know, the real intellectuals that that understand the Scriptures in depth, a lot of them are Catholics. A lot of them are Catholics. We were trying to identify a Baptist. There was a real intellectual. And my argument was, well, they're out getting people saved. (laughs) But, But, you know, some of the real defenders of the faith, who really go in and have looked at this thing, have come from a Catholic or very traditional expression. You try to go dumping on these guys? I mean, only because of their humility, they will not attack back. So this is, it's in this context, Jesus says, watch yourselves, watch yourselves. Bless those people. If they're enjoying their church, say, good, God bless you in that. God bless you in that. You like that expression? You like the teaching there? That is great. I am happy to see you excited about God. Go where you get excited. Go where you feel that you're taught, where you're trained, where you're built up. Go to that place and be excited about it. And Jesus said, don't try to stop that man. Just uh, if he's not against you, he's for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for the truth of Your Word. You are so good. Father, I praise Your name. Father, You are so good to us.
praise your holy name. So good to us. Father, I pray that you would take these young people and that you would cause them to remember that the greatest in heaven are those who walk in humility and open receptiveness. And Father, to the ones here that have never opened their hearts to a personal relationship with God, Father, I pray that they would come before you and humbly as a child say, Father, forgive me for my sins and come into my life. That they would come to know the closeness that I know, the closeness of fellowship with God, that they would understand that they could be God's special possession. Father, save their souls, I pray. And Lord, I ask that you would take these young people and so build them up in you, that they would be so filled with Jesus to overflowing, that they need not be critical of others that do things a little bit different way. Father, I pray your blessing to be upon them, the blessings of God to be upon them. And Father, that you would watch over and protect them, guide them in the right way. And Lord, keep them from a judgmental spirit, judging others. Father, I pray that you'd cause them to draw close to you in that. Thank you, Father, for your mercies and the truth of your word. In the name of Jesus, amen.